all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Halloween so. Halloween edition. Yes. <laughs> um, we're not super big into Halloween necessarily. Some people really get into it. Well, uh, being people, we mean adults. Yes. Kids, it's Kids, understandable. It's un- yeah, but absolutely. Some grownups really love Halloween. Yeah. Not sure I understand it. Uh, I understood it when I was like in my 20s and still single. Mm. Like I very much understood it then. <laughs> but uh, I'm not in my 20s and not single. Yeah. So I'm... Just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. <laughs> Ignore the cat in the corner and uh, join our Facebook discussion group. Yes. All Bad Things discussion group. We've had quite a few people join. We have. Lately. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And I, again, I apologize. I, I do not go on social media hardly you at go all on anymore. Twitter a fair amount. I have been lately. Yeah, I need to stop doing that, too. I know. We all need to stop <laughs> going on to all social media, but yeah. Um, I think we have a Discord. I don't know. Like, still, three I, different people made one, okay. and I'm not sure what's going on there, so I apologize. Just let me know, guys. And I still don't know what that is, but whatever it is, go ahead and run like with it. Like a chat room, yeah. essentially. I, I, yeah. It's, it's cool. Um, what you drinking tonight? I am drinking uh, Deep River, which is a brewery in Clayton, North Carolina. Johnson County. Or Joko for the mm-hmm. locals. Uh, I am drinking their pumpkin pie porter, which is, it's in my top three, I think, of uh, pumpkin oh, beers. Okay. It's probably my favorite one. Okay. Yes. I should have, I had a, a like an Oktoberfest beer mm-hmm. that I should have drank, but I actually picked another one. The one, one from last week, though. Right? Is well, that the gorgeous. one you're talking No, yeah. I, I, I bought a Commonwealth. Um, oh, they have one too. They have had a. Well, I guess everybody beer. has one now. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But this is Commonwealth. I've mentioned them before. They're out of Virginia. Virginia Beach, yeah. Um, they make a trillion and one different beers. It's amazing at all their flavors. Yeah, we got to get up to Virginia Beach one of yeah. these. It's, not that, it's only a three hour drive, yeah, it's not, it's that, not bad. that far away. Um, this is a strawberry glacé ghost style ale with strawberry prickly pear, lemongrass, and vanilla. It's oh, that's the one I had last night. It is, it is good. Yeah, yes. it's kind of like a little strawberry fruity milkshake. Can I try that again? Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed it. May I have a swig of your pumpkin pie porter? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yummy. That is good. That is that is good. Isn't it good? Mm-hmm. I like that 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 the um. Uh, Deep River beer, it tastes like pumpkin, but it also tastes like beer, like a porter. It does, yeah. Which is nice. It's got a nice, uh, nice, nice balance to it. Yes. Way to go, Deep River. <laughs> we haven't been there in a long time. Forever. We haven't been there since uh, since Chad lived out there. Yeah. I don't, I don't uh-huh. think. No. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. Yeah. And uh, and when one of his nieces got her hair caught in the door, or and no, and in, in, in my button, your coat button, the most bizarre thing to ever happen. <laughs> 
somehow just by walking by you when you held the door open. No, no, no. She was about to walk into a door. Remember they have those big ass heavy doors at that place? uh She was about to walk into a door that was about to close on her face. that's right. So you were like pushing it open to keep it. And so she walked right by you. (laughs) And And somehow her little long hair... Wrapped twenty seven. Literally times got r- completely wrapped around one of my coat buttons. buttons. It, was it was bizarre because she kept trying to walk away and she couldn't. And, she <laughs> and then she started. Then. And then she started crying. And she was super <laughs> tiny then too. Um, it she, was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. She was seen. so little. She was like three or four at the time, so she didn't know what to do. She just like, cried. She just burst into tears. And I was just like, I'm trying to unravel. I'm trying. I'm trying. Don't walk away. <laughs> I remember laughing really hard at that, but like trying not to let her see that I was laughing really hard. Was I mean, funny. it, it was, was funny. Yeah, it's probably something she'll never remember. No. But uh, it was pretty Either funny. That or she'll tell her therapist years from yeah, now. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, dear listeners, mm. um, even though we are not necessarily big <clears throat> Halloween people, I have prepared a Halloween episode for us today. Okay. So this. You've given me no clues at all. I know. So this topic was suggested by our listener, Ash. Okay. And Ash also suggested, you know, you could sort of let it unfold Uh, like that. Ash from the Evil Dead? Yeah, you you, you wouldn't get that reference. Well, why did you say that? (laughs) (laughs) Because some of our listeners will. Okay. Well, I'm very happy for them. (laughs) Um... So Ash was like, this could really unfold as like a suspense story a little bit because it there is quite a creepy element to it and like a mystery element to it. Um, so I decided to take their advice and go ahead and write this story a little differently. So in that's Jesse right, that's right, Jesse. He's yeah, he's not with it. <laughs> he's but. like, no, um, I am not going to reveal the outcome. Per usual, you know, I usually say this happened Mm -hmm. here, this date, and this many people died or whatever. Um, I occasionally say it as well. Yes, when you do, when you host, you're right. Uh, Well, but it'll be soon. We have have one Mm -hmm. coming up, dear Mm -hmm. listeners. I know all five of you are excited about that. (laughs) And uh, so so this, this is not going to contain that typical intro, and I'm going to let this come forth as a narrative. Uh, I have to, I've sort of written it a little bit florid, more florid than normal, um, but it still has to convey a lot of information, so it's still pr- pretty, like, reporter-ish. Hey, what? He just wants to get in the bathroom for some for strange bizarre, reason. Bizarre, to sit in the sink. He mm-hmm. loves laying in the sink. He does. Don't you, Jesse Pinkman. Anyway, so that is how I'm going to go ahead and tell this story. Now, I do want to make it really clear because this is sort of a different approach and it's it's using storytelling methods to sort of, um, I don't know, titillate a little bit, you know, like to, to evoke a specific reaction. I did want to... Are, are we approaching this in an unsolved mysteries type of vein? It got solved. This is not unsolved. Oh, um, bummer. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to make sure that everyone was really clear that just because I'm telling this in a slightly dramatic way, that does not diminish and nor am I intending or at all disrespecting those involved. 
Well, I, I so, think our I think our audience knows that. I at think this so point. too. Um, if the there if there are some if there are some one star reviews, if there are some new listeners, uh, which we hope there are every episode. Yeah, just bear with us, but mm-hmm. but just know, and if you listen to any of our back catalog, yeah. you will know we do not make fun. We will make fun of circumstances quite often. And people we, who do terrible things, because yes. every once in a while there will be somebody who did but something terrible. We have never and will never make fun of victims. victims no, absolutely not. Um, and we laugh at our own little stupid side rants and jokes and stuff, mm-hmm. too. But, uh, but I mean, anyone who expects, like we got a, another one star recently, and it was like, you should be more serious. That's a serious topic. You need to be serious. I'm like, have you ever listened to My Favorite Murder or like literally any of 27 trillion thousand, like last podcast on the left, anybody? Like this is how people do it. Either you're going to be super dramatic and and serious or maybe you're going to be kind of light about it. But I think we're a little bit of both. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, which is what we intended it Mm -hmm. to be. Because we do talk about serious shit, yeah, and it's really for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if if people pick up on it, that's great. Yep, I think people do. But really, just for ourselves, just for our own levity. Yes, we have to. I'm sorry, but like telling it's depressing these stories shit. Week after week, yeah, incredibly <laughs> depressing. So, so yeah, we're gonna do it, and screw you if you think that's a bad idea. Anyway, um, so. Lots of thanks to Ash for this suggestion, both in the topic and in the way to tell it. And then also I wanted to shout out our listener, Elena, who helped with some pronunciation. Oh, okay. So we're going to uh, pronunciation land. speaking country. That's a pronunciation land. That's right. All right. And I've debated over whether to tell you the... uh, Call it, like, call this topic Uh, this. Let's let's just get into it. No, oh. I'm, I'm going to. I know, okay. I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm okay. just kind of letting you know. But I think I'm going to tell you both what it's what the actual title of the disaster is and then what it's sort of colloquially known as. Okay. So, so this is the story of Helios Airways Flight 522, also known as the Ghost Plane. Okay. Does this have something to do with the Bermuda tri- Triangle or something no. like that? Or? Well, well, let's... Ber- ber- the Bermuda Triangle? Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, words are hard. <laughs> they are. Let's see. At 4.25 a.m. local time on Sunday, August 14th, 2005, Okay. a Boeing 737-31S, nicknamed Olympia, landed at Larnaca International Airport on the small island nation of Cyprus okay. in the Mediterranean Sea, having arrived at its picturesque destination from London's Heathrow Airport. The overnight flight was relatively uneventful, except for one unsettling detail. During the flight, a loud banging sound could be heard from one of the plane's doors. Specifically, oh, shit, it's like the fucking Twilight Zone. Yeah, specifically the aft starboard door. So that's the rear. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right side. Yes, starboard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And it was the this door was between the lavatories in the back and the flight attendant service area, like where they serve refreshments yeah. from. And that door, because of bye, Demetrius. Go on. Come on. Because of its proximity to the service area, <clears throat> got it. <laughs> um, 
because of its proximity to the service area, that's the door that they use to put to board on the supplies, like sure. for food and, yeah. and uh, drinks. On board so. the supplies. What I say? Board on. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. <clears throat> Obviously, hearing a banging sound coming that would be from creepy door, as fuck it, in a plane. Yes, and I'm sure that's it was not, scary that's for everybody. Not who something heard I it. ever would want to hear. No. Um. So it, it was recommended that the door receive a full inspection after landing. Basically, because I, I would think like the door's not latched properly, or, uh, or so, the seal is broke. Something uh, yes. has gone wrong, right? Yeah. So that was recommended by the flight crew. And then as the pilot was actually disembarking Olympia, um, one of the flight engineers who checked the plane in between was coming towards the plane, right? Mm -hmm. And the pilot told uh, 44-year-old Alan Irwin, the flight engineer, like, hey, this happened in the door. Can you can you make sure to check that? Plus, it was on all the written reports and stuff. And, I fucking hope so. And Alan Irwin said, no problem. I'll look at it. So Alan was a UK native, a veteran of the Royal Air Force, mm-hmm. and he was one of the two Helios flight engineers assigned to that plane. He was working the night shift. Remember, this was 425 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yep. I believe their shift was 1 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Yeah, a little makes strange. Sense. But it's a little late, no? No, that makes sense. Okay. It's, a, it's an eight and a half hour <laughs> shift. Okay. I, well, half no, hour the, lunch. The time or... makes sense. It's just the, the duration makes sense. It's just that... Who starts at 1 a.m. and ends at like 10 a.m.? I like think, well, I, I think at 1 a.m. because I have flown that late before, and it's really weird to be, and I'm talking about, oh, I'm I talking know. about being, I'm talking about way before pre-COVID and all this mm-hmm. stuff. It's really weird to be in an airport where there's fucking yes. nobody there. Everything's shut down. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It so is. I think that's kind of like the official, unofficial time of like oh, the start well, the of red the red eye. eye. I gotcha. Is oh, after midnight. Yeah, so. that makes sense, I guess. So, Erwin was working with another UK native engineer, 39-year-old Malcolm Fowler. So, both Erwin and Fowler were short-timers. They were not permanent Helios employees. They were both contractors working temporarily. Sure. Erwin was four months through a six-month contract, and Fowler was in the midst of a six-week contract. Six-week contract? Mm -hmm. That's that's Mm -hmm. odd. Well, I I have no... I cannot Uh, speak to the... uh. um, the airline industry, but, uh, so Irwin, uh, or I already said that, sorry. The two men conducted a thorough inspection of the plane, including like they visually examined the door, took a look at the seal. Like, are there cracks? Did it fail? And then they also did a pressure test, like to see if they could simulate you know the plane being up in the air did it have to do something with something to do with the pressure sure. or did they reproduce the sound under those same conditions but nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary at all they didn't hear anything they didn't see anything that would indicate that there was a problem so they couldn't figure it out they wrote up their reports the everything that was required and they noted in them quote nil defects end quote so like they, they're like nothing's wrong. Since Irwin and Fowler found no mechanical failures or any other issues to prevent Olympia from flying again, it was released to fly at seven fifteen a.m. local time. So while this is all going in the early going on in the early morning hours when Olympia is getting this inspection from Irwin and Fowler, 
another situation is taking place. There's a scheduling scramble going on for the next scheduled flight, which is Helios Airways Flight 522, call sign HCY 522. And it was set to take off at 9 a.m. Um, for its initial destination of Athens before proceeding on to Prague. So uh, now I feel like I don't think I actually ended up putting this in here. This took a long time to write, and I think I actually deleted this paragraph. But just to give a quick background on Helios Airways, it was actually a relatively new airline. It had started in 1998. I've never heard of it. It had started in 1998. It was regional to the area. So regional carrier. Yes, it it was Cyprus based, and Mm -hmm. essentially took people between Cyprus and other places that makes around sense. Europe. We that have, was just we have, the idea. We have plenty of regional oh, yeah. carriers like that in the United States. Absolutely. It was a budget carrier, mm-hmm. so it was known for being a, a low-cost carrier. Um, but they were also, they had been sold to another, uh, so they had been founded in 1998. They were sold to another, and I'm sorry because I clearly deleted this from the script, so I'm struggling to remember, but in 2004, they sold to a bigger conglomerate. Okay. But um, that didn't stop sort of some problems, economic problems, from following Helios to their new owners. They had specifically some back tax problems. Well, I mean, think about the um, think about the upfront cost mm-hmm. of running an airline. We're we're, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. A a passenger plane. You have to buy a fleet of jets. Right. And I'm going to guess even like a 50-seater probably costs $10 million, something like that. And uh, Olympia was a 737. That's not a tiny plane. That's not a tiny plane, no. So, So, yes, well, you want to have some of those in your fleet Mm -hmm. as well. But, yeah, uh, operating marketing, an airline Mm -hmm. costs a lot of money. Just ask Donald Trump. (laughs) He's bankrupted several. (laughs) Well, he did bankrupt an airline. His own airline. Oh, sorry. He's bankrupted one. <laughs> yeah. Just one. And a casino. Sorry, be hyperbolic. <laughs> and water. All right. We're going to get back and to the story. <laughs> so, uh, so, behind the scenes that morning at Helios, the operations center, or whoever was, resp- it might have even been HR, but basically, they had to replace two flight attendants on this flight. Two had called out at the last minute. Okay. So what that left them with was just two <clears throat> flight attendants for 115 passengers. That is a That's not doable. Well, it's that's that's quite that's a that's stressing out your crew. Oh, absolutely. So they were they were calling through their own call list, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we got to get somebody. So one of the people on their call list was 25-year-old steward Andreas Prodromu. So Prodromu was a trained pilot, held a UK commercial pilot's license. Uh, but after he had searched for a job for quite some time as a pilot, he couldn't find anything. So he decided, he's like, look, I just got to work. So he got work as a flight attendant for Helios. Okay, sure. Um, and that was much to the chagrin of his family, who felt, and rightly and understandably, that he was overqualified for the job which is true he's a pilot he's like a commercially licensed pilot so um but now he's a flight attendant but it's a job right and sometimes you got to do what you got to do so when Prodromo got the call 
from Helios on short notice. This is like less than three hours after takeoff. And so he's going to have to get to the airport, Mm -hmm. do all. And he's not even on duty scheduled, you know, whatever. So he was initially like, "Eh, I don't know. But then he found out that his girlfriend, who was a fellow flight attendant named Harris Haralambus, would be on the same flight. And so he was like, oh, okay, well, at least I can work with her, right? Like, um, uh, get to be on the plane with her. He's like, yeah, we can have a... Oh, okay. And that is um, Andreas and Harris. I was just going to joke, like, yeah, they can just have a a quickie in the bathroom at some point. And it looks like that's what's going on. Oh, come on. I'm kidding. Also, these are professionals. I'm pretty sure they would not do something like that, like just for the record. What? Well, you never know. But yeah. but anyway. That's that's calling people like that's. I'm. Some people know how to be professional. I'm pretty sure Andreas and Harris knew. How to yes, be they did. So yeah. do I. Just not at this job. At the at being a flight attendant. Yeah, no, you're not at, a flight at this job. At what oh, we're doing. Because <laughs> we're not getting paid <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> I am a professional at work, so I've been told. (laughs) So the foursome of flight attendants was rounded out when 32-year-old Greek national Luisa Vuteri filled in as chief attendant. So they were able to to find people. Now, um, so Luisa was 32. She was the oldest of the crew. I mean, I'm pretty sure flight attendants skew young. It's still like a... Well, actually, I don't know. No, I, 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 just, anymore, I was going right? to say, I don't think so. I feel like it's changed over the years a little bit. I've. I don't necessarily notice, but if I had to like think about it for a second, I would say most flight attendants that in I've. The 30s? Exp- are are, are like around that. my age, yeah. around our age, like yeah. somewhere in between. Well, at any rate, then I guess this was just a young cabin crew because she was the oldest at 32. Andreas was only 25, and then I couldn't identify, but Harris was either 24 or 25, and then the fourth flight attendant, whose name I couldn't find, was 24 or 25. So they were all around the same age, and then Louisa was a little older. The cabin crew aboard, or the total flight crew aboard Olympia totaled six. So the four flight attendants and two pilots. So the flight was being helmed by German-born Hans-Jürgen Merton. He's German? (laughs) I know, right? No way. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit of a giveaway. He was a 59-year-old, highly experienced pilot. He had nearly 17,000 flight hours under his belt over his 35-year career, including over 5,000. That's a long time to be flying. So he's been flying since he was 24 years old. Yep, and uh, since 1970 at this point. So, Uh, Like engineers Irwin and Fowler... Uh, Martin was also a contractor for Helios. In the first officer's chair was 51-year-old Cyprus citizen Pampos Haralambos. Now, that is the same last name as Harris, the girlfriend. Oh, yeah, okay. But from what I could tell, there was no relation. Okay. So it might just sure. be a relatively common last yeah, name. Yeah, like Johnson or Smith. or Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or, or just not. It'd be like if someone was named... Um, Carpenter and Carpenter. You know, it's like it's they're not the most common names, but they're also not horribly uncommon no. either. So so uh, Haralambus had worked for Helios directly for five years. He had logged about 7,500 flight hours. More than half of those were on a 737. Now, during his career, Haralambus had also accrued several notes in his training record. Those who helped him train and observed him, like, on his uh, evaluations, 
in both simulated and real flights had noted more than once that he seemed to have some difficulty following standard operating procedures. That's not good. Especially when it came to properly follow following the critical checklists that flight crews are required to complete <laughs> to ensure the safety of their flights. Definitely not good. It's not great. I it's have to. I, I am a pretty much a full-time forklift operator at this point. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a boring-ass checklist, it, like I know everything works, mm-hmm. you still have to do, have it. To do it. Well, the, the whole point of the checklist, and we will have opportunity to talk about this later too, but is... To make sure to keep a mundane task without any lack of, like, it's so easy to forget something yeah. when you're running on automatic. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's keep going. We will be able to get back to that. So his trainers also noted that Geralambos had, quote, a tendency to overreact and lose confidence in non-normal situations, end quote. That's not good either. It's not, but it was probably for the best, right? That he was paired with Merton, because Merton was sure. a thirty-five-year veteran, right? Thousands and thousands of flight hours. Somebody to keep him in check. Exactly. It seems like okay if you're gonna put somebody to keep him in line. Maybe they even yeah. did. I have no, no no facts to base this on, but maybe they even did that deliberately. They're like, look, that would be he's my kind guess. Kind of a nervous guy. Let's yeah. put him with a pro. an experienced guy. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. Yeah, makes sense. So together, Merton and Haralambos completed the required pre-flight procedures and checklists. As they were working on the lists, the passengers boarded Olympia, as they do, right, on flights. About half of the passengers would only be flying to Athens, the first stop, and the rest would remain on board to their final destination of Prague. A total of 115 passengers boarded that day, most of whom were natives of Cyprus, with the rest... And then also, remember, Captain Merton was German, but the rest were from Greece. 93 of the passengers were adults and 22 were children. The flight attendants helped the passengers find their seat and prepare for takeoff. They shut the plane door and every box on the pre-flight checklist was ticked. They were good to go. So Olympia took off at 9.07 a.m. As the plane climbed through the sky, Merton and Haralambos continued their required took procedures. Off, took off from Heathrow. No, this is uh, from Cyprus. Oh, They're Cyprus. flying okay. from Cyprus. Okay. The, the previous flight that okay. this plane had flown was from London. Yes, gotcha. it was from Heathrow okay. to Cyprus. And now they're going from Cyprus to Athens to Prague. That is okay. the, With this flight crew that is going to Prague, right? So, uh, it, so Merton and Haralambos continued their required procedures. They had to retract the landing gear, talk to air traffic control. They had an after takeoff checklist, monitoring the ascent, and they were doing all of that stuff. Everything required everything perfectly normal. Then at 9.12 a.m., so five minutes after takeoff, and at an altitude of around 12,000 feet, an odd- so, they're, so they're still climbing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They still... 34,000 yeah. is going to be their cruising altitude. Yep. Mm-hmm. So 12,000 feet, an audible alarm went off mm-hmm. in the cockpit. <clears throat> okay. So immediately, Merton and Haralambos investigated the source, and they were like, okay, we know what this is. They determined the sound was a takeoff configuration warning, and that's what they repro- reported back to the Helios dispatcher on the ground at the Cyprus airport. Now, this was weird. And this development was puzzling. 
because as the name would suggest, the takeoff configuration right. warning system is a part of the plane's safety system meant to monitor takeoff. Right. I'm like, why is that going off in, yeah. at 12,000 feet in the air? Five minutes into the flight. Like, I'm sorry, takeoff happened just fine. What is going well, on? Well, I mean, I'm sure the first, and you might get into this, but I'm sure the first thing in their mind is like, it just might be a glitch something or... Right. So... Something that wasn't meant to go off, but it right. did, whatever. Right, yeah. We'll turn it off. That makes no big sense, deal. right? Mm-hmm. So the 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 t- uh, takeoff configuration warning is meant to go off if it's like, look, there's something wrong and you shouldn't put your wheels up. Basically, like, don't fly, don't take off until this alarm goes away and has been whatever the source of the problem is. It can go off when the plane is overloaded. It can go off if it, just if anything hasn't been done that should have been done, essentially, right? Um, but this five minutes into the flight, 12,000 feet in the air, this was coming way too late, right? And it's only going off in the cockpit, correct? Yes. Okay. So Merton... So only they know about it and they're like... Yeah. yeah. And so Merton was talking to the dispatcher. So this is not air traffic control. This is the dispatcher for Helios, like the operations center at mm-hmm. Helios, right? Um, back in Cyprus. So they briefly discussed the warning. Uh, and then the captain, couple. this is just a couple minutes later, at like 9.14... And all of this is in local time, by the way, Cyprus local time. Uh, the captain was saying, oh, wait a second. There's another alarm going off. Now, this apparently the second alarm had something to do with the air conditioning system, the cooling system okay. in the plane. And it was like, OK, that's weird. But around this time, the dispatcher and Martin started having some communication problems. And it was thought. In retrospect, maybe they were speaking in English, right? Which is pretty standard for, uh, from what I understand, that that's air traffic control around the world. That's the standard language. I could be wrong. Oh, okay. But, I guess I've um, never thought of it So they that were way. both, because you, you're dealing with international crews. Sure. Right? So um, they were both talking. Uh, uh, Martin was talking with a thick German accent. weird. This other guy was from Cyprus. So it was like, maybe we're just not understanding each other. Like, are we not? It it was just became a struggle for the dispatcher to understand Martin. Um, Which which isn't good either. No, it's not. Uh, So the dispatcher requested that the on-duty ground engineer should hop on the radio to see if he could help out a little bit. Now, that ground engineer who was still um, on duty was Alan Irwin. And this was gaining on 930, so he's kind of near the, nearing the wrap-up portion of his shift, right? So Irwin got on the microphone with Martin. And Martin told Irwin, my cooling light is off. Okay. Meaning the warning was off. Okay. And so Alan Irwin is like thinking to himself, um, yeah, that's normal. So okay, like, why are you telling me this? So, so, uh, Irwin said, that's normal. So he was trying to assure Martin, like, okay, so your cooling lights off. That's, that's cool. That's, that's right. Um, but, okay, come on, Demetrius. Come back in. Little pumpkin kitty. There we go. Let me see, we've got, we've got our spooky black kitty and our a pumpkin. All right, I'm not ginger. opening the door for you again. Yeah, you so. got to stay in. Sorry, baby. <laughs> All right. So Erwin was like, look, that's normal. He was completely confused. Why, like, why would you point out something that's not a problem? And then Martin said, they are not switched off. So he was directly contradicting what he just said. Sure. And so at this point, Erwin's like, 
what is this guy talking about? So he started thinking about it. He's like, okay, maybe he's confused. Maybe he do, he wasn't saying that the cooling system light was maybe off. Maybe he was meaning something else. Yes, something closer by. So he thought about it. And he thought back to the pressure test that he and Fowler conducted. Now, he was like, is it possible that he's not talking because right by that cooling system uh, panel is the pressurization system panel? Mm-hmm. He's like, maybe that's not what he's talking about. Maybe he's talking about the pressurization panel. And he was like, so he, so Irwin said to Martin, quote, can you confirm that the pressurization panel is set to auto, end quote, which is where it's supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, maybe he's just pointing out that something else is wrong on a different panel. Now, still confusingly, Martin didn't seem to register what Irwin said. He's... he's just seemed to be kind of obsessed with this cooling system. So he asked, where are my equipment cooling circuit breakers? So he's asking about the circuit breakers having to do with the cooling system. And Erwin's like, what, like, what is this guy thinking? So I, I know you didn't, uh, maybe you will get into it later, but are these pilots familiar with this type of aircraft? Remember, they ha- uh, Martin had over 5,000 hours on a 737. Um uh, Haralambus had more than half of his flights on the 737. Yes, they're quite familiar with it. But I would think. Oh, it's I, not... I thought you were just talking about their overall. Okay, I guess I missed that part before. No, so I, I would, I would think that they're the reason he's asking about the circuit breakers is because that's typically not something a pilot needs to get to. But I guess he's asking would, yeah. about it, and Irwin was confused. But he answered him. He said, behind the captain's seat. Like, okay, you're asking about the circuit breaker. I can tell you where it is. It's behind the captain's seat. And at that point, the call ended on Olympia's end. Like, that was the last thing that Irwin heard. Period? That was the last thing that Irwin heard from Olympia. Okay. And it was 9.20 a.m. And Irwin is just like, well, that was weird and confusing. But he's wrapping up his shift he answered the guy's questions, so basically the duty to remain in contact was obviously there was air traffic control, but then like the dispatcher became responsible again for for talking to him. So long and short, Erwin was like, I don't know, I told him what he asked, I guess I'm done here. And they're like, yeah, okay. And I'm sure they had another engineer coming in, so if there were further questions, the new on-duty engineer could like answer them. So basically, Erwin just like was like, okay, well, that was strange, but I'm going to wrap up my day. He headed home a few minutes later. Um, he had plans to spend the day at the beach with his partner and his kids, with his partner and their kids, and they had family visiting from the UK. So, I mean, it's a weekend. It's a Sunday, you know? So it's like, sure. okay. And so the responsibility with contacting uh, the Olympia went back to the dispatcher, and so the dispatcher tried to call. Uh, but there was no response. Mm. So throughout this just confusing interchange, everything that was going on, like what warning system is going on? And what are you saying? The, the cooling system? No, not the cooling system. Could it be the pressurization? Like what is going on here? And asking about circuit breakers the whole time, the plane continued to climb as normal, right? Still just gaining altitude. And by 9.23 a.m., so just a few minutes after... Irwin's conversation ended with the captain, it reached its cruising altitude of 34,000 feet, 
leveled off, did not continue to climb. Like it was, this was perfectly normal. Um, but having no success raising the pilot, the Helios dispatcher contacted air traffic control at nearby Nicosia International Airport in Cyprus at 9.29 a.m., asking them to reach out. Like, look, okay, maybe am I on the wrong frequency? What is going on here? Can you try and get, get in touch with them? So over the next several minutes, Nicosia Air Traffic Control repeatedly contacted Olympia with no response. In the meantime, the flight... Just going on its exact so they have, course. So they have the flight on the radar, I'm guessing, oh, correct? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. The plane's there. The plane's flying. They just can't the communicate with it. The plane's not having it. any problem. No one is responding. That is the thing, the very concerning thing that uh, is yeah. happening. Oh, yeah. Everything else seems perfectly normal. They're, like, the plane is flying, no problem. On course, the whole nine, right? Yeah, because when you're at cruising altitude, I'm guessing you're... I'm guessing 100% of the time, pretty much, you're on autopilot. Yeah, that I don't know when they engage or disengage autopilot, but either somebody was controlling it or it was on autopilot, right? Sure. Those are the two options. Yeah. At any rate, it was heading exactly the way it was supposed to to go to Athens. They just can't communicate with it. They just can't get Martin on the, on the horn. Kind of, that's kind of scary. Well, that's let's con- keep going. That's, that's concerning, at the least. Let's keep going. At 9.36 a.m., so this is 16 minutes after they last heard, right? Like, the last person to have contacted or been in contact with Helios was Irwin, Alan Irwin. And that was when he told the captain where the circuit breakers were. That was the last bit of um, communication. So at 9.36, Athens Air Traffic Control became aware of Olympia's approach into their airspace on the radar. There's like an automatic system apparently on the plane that confirmed. So this was not done manually by a person, but it was confirmed that, okay, they're entering our airspace now. They did not receive a transmission from the plane. So seconds later, Nicosia Air Traffic Control contacted Athens and was like, hey, look, we haven't been able to get to, to raise or communicate with Helios, with Olympia, the Helios flight. So they said, look, if he calls you, let us know. And Nicosia uh, called back. So they, so they hung up, called back a few minutes later, three minutes later. And Nicosia asked, did Helios call you? And Athens said, not yet. So still nobody has heard from Helios. Flying all per usual, everything is fine. As far as like the course and the whole bit, it's just they can't get a hold of anybody. So by 10, 12 a.m., so we're talking over 30 minutes after the last transmission from Olympia, the Olympia still on its course was approaching the point where descent should begin. Into the Athens International Airport. That's, that's this is short That's flight. exactly what the fuck I was thinking, and, and they're not doing it, are they? Well, n- n- no, it's, uh-uh. that's not the problem. Athens need, air traffic control needs to talk to them. Sure. Because they need clearance to land, right? So they need, of course. they need to be talked through their descent. But are so, they, but are they starting to descend? Well, no. Yeah. But they're not okay. supposed to until Athens can contact them. So Athens, that's why Athens reached out to them. Athens contacted them uh, to discuss clearance for beginning the descent, but nobody answered. So over the next half hour, so now we're getting into like an hour uh, 
by the last communication, since the last communication, multiple attempts were made to contact Olympia. Each met with the same result. Complete silence. The situation became more and more uneasy as each minute passed. Remember, this is 2005. This is less than four years after September 11th. So it wasn't lost on anyone involved in trying to raise the Olympia crew that it was possible that this plane had been hijacked. Sure. And whoever was at the controls was not talking, right? They carefully monitored the plane's path. And you're right, there was no descent. They didn't reach out for clearance. They didn't respond regarding clearance. And then the question became, where is this plane going? So as Olympia approached Athens Airport at 10.40 a.m. over an hour after the last transmission, it started to circle the airport in a holding pattern. So it was not deliberately descending, wasn't going out of control, wasn't crashing, wasn't going anywhere. It's just starting to circle. Sure. Starting to circle the airport. And they were still not... Nobody was contacting air traffic control, dispatch, nobody. And they were not responding to transmissions. So at this point, everyone was like, okay, this is out of our control. This situation is out of our control and that's not okay. So, okay. I mean, because I know it sounds like I'm not listening <laughs> to everybody. I'm just trying to think about what the fuck is going on. I know. So that, that's, that's what, what I, everybody here is doing that's too. What it, so... Is there a way to test the communication equipment? Is it just a possibility that their communication so, equipment is out? Or I, It is very possible that all this was going on in the background. In fact, probable right. that they were troubleshooting multiple things in the background. Because I'm just not going to get into the details right, because of what those things were. Even though it's 2005, it's very possible that maybe somehow their communication equipment got nut. Because we're talking about something that is 30,000 feet in the air. You are absolutely right. You know? I am going to guess that they certainly were looking at yeah. troubleshooting, confirming whatever they could from their end, right? So, yes, I this would say This is just yes. fucking weird. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Do you see why Ash suggested this one? I don't like Halloween. <laughs> Wow. I'll, t- I'll just take the candy. Just give me the candy. <laughs> you don't like the fact that a plane is circling Athens Airport I, with no communication with anyone? I don't, and I have a <clears throat> story about somebody I knew, one of my cousin's fraternity brothers, that was working on a tower on 9-11 where something similar like this happened. And maybe I'll get into that. Maybe oh, I wow. Won't. Okay. Yes. Okay. So... Now, the situation had become one that was not under control, right? Everyone on the ground was like, look, we cannot contact them. They are not doing what they are supposed to. This needs to get escalated. This is a concern now. This is an actual... This is a potential threat. Yes. Yes, it is a potential threat. Why aren't they responding? Why aren't they landing? They're not crashing. Well, they're, like, well, they're nothing's not, going well, on. Well, they're not landing because they have to get clearance for descent, which there's no communication to do so. Which I, I guess I never thought about, but mm-hmm. obviously you would need to get cleared right, for descent. Right, because you can't just start descending. Because no, there could be something below you. Yeah, someone below you, exactly. Yeah. Which we've seen happen yes, before. Yes, we yes. have. Mm-hmm. At 10.53 a.m., Athens Air Traffic Control contacted the Joint Rescue Coordination Center, which is a search and rescue division within the Hellenic Air Force. Hellenic being the Greek Air, sure. Air Force. Yep. Back in Cyprus, Alan Irwin was called back 
to the dispatch center. Probably like, hey, we could use an engineer. You, well, like, and plus you were the last, last person to, to them. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Air Force, the Hellenic Air Force, dispatched two F-16 sure. fighter jets yeah. to go find Absolutely. Olympia. They're to, like visual. For, for, visual well, that and for the purpose of maybe they need an escort. An escort? Yes. Or if there is a threat, do they need to be shot down? Like worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we need to figure out what's what's going on here, right? So the two jets took off from Nea on Helos. <laughs> Thank you, Elena. <laughs> Air base at 11.05 a.m. and headed south towards Athens. At 11.24 a.m., they saw Olympia. Now in its sixth circle above the Athens airport. And we have... That's Helios. Okay. That is Olympia. And that is one of the fighter pilots, and the other one is taking the picture. <laughs> he's looking right at the other pilot. He is, he's yeah. just like, he's just so like, like hey, what's going man? on? Yeah. He's like, there it is. Mm-hmm. There's Helios, flying along just fine. That's fucking weird, man. What? Oh, all right, this is a fucking weird story. It is. It is I- very... I'm so thinking of the goddamn Twilight Zone movie right now, <laughs> which we've already covered. <laughs> right. The... But uh. Yeah, you're right. We did. So the. The pilots, the F-16 fighter pilots, they were flying by Olympia and they're like, okay, what's the first thing they do? Look for damage, right? Yeah. Is there a fire? Smoke. Is Is there there... smoke? Yep. Is there a a bite out of the wing? Like, whatever. Is there a creature on the wing? We don't care. We just need to see what's going on. Is there a man in in a bear suit on the wing? (laughs) Right. And is William Shatner on board? (laughs) Right. And they didn't see anything. Nothing. Yeah, because well, it you can fine. see from the photo, there's looks like there's there's it's no smoke plane. coming from no, it. It's it is just a normal, happy flying little plane. And it looks like the look from the other pilot is like, well, there like, it is. <laughs> okay. Like, what are we supposed what do we to do, do now? now? Yeah. Yeah, maybe they were talking to each other at the time. They probably were. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so a few minutes later, at eleven thirty-two a.m., the pilots of the F sixteen were like, okay, we now need to see what's if we can find out what's going on inside the plane. And there must be a way for them to potentially communicate with them. So. I would think so. So, the F-16s got a little closer so that they could see into the plane. I don't want to... F- I, uh, so, they look... I'm not sure I want to keep going on with this. This is just too fucked up. <laughs> is it creepy? Is it creeping it's you creepy out? as fuck. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that was kind of the point of telling yeah. it this way. Um, so the first place they looked was the cockpit. Sure. Right? Obviously. Are there pilots in there? Mm Mm-hmm. And they peered into the cockpit window where they found a disturbing sight. Oh, no. There was no one in the captain's seat. You've got to be kidding me. Someone was sitting in the co-pilot seat, but they were slumped over at the controls, motionless. What the fuck? Empty captain's chair... Somebody slumped over onto the controls in the first officer's chair. Uh, I'm not even going to say what I'm thinking, but go ahead. The Air Force pilots scanned the rest of the plane. There's windows throughout the plane, right? One pilot saw through one of the windows of the cabin two people sitting on the port side, the left side of Olympia. One was wearing white, one was wearing red. Neither of them were moving. Both were wearing oxygen masks. They peered through the rest of the cabin, 
And because it was daytime, daylight was like oh, coming, coming through right the other through. side of yeah, the plane. Yeah, so they could probably see right in there. And they saw multiple masks and hoses to the oxygen masks hanging down okay. the cabin. And they didn't see any person moving on board. But the plane continued to fly. Have I, offic- have I officially disturbed you? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm flying again. <laughs> well, we need to... This is like... We're, we're not even halfway through I don't this even, story. Jesus Christ. All right. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, man. I'm not sure if you're ready for what's coming next, then. I'm, I'm, my mind is already going into all sorts of fucking weird places, just like it does when I'm on a flight. So, whatever. So, at this point, the situation... This was like a... Okay problem situation serious problem so this situation was escalated to distress i guess that was just like the level yeah, or whatever like yeah. there's a problem this is a, fucking, this is a code red yes this isn't like you rightly were thinking like is it like the communication equipment is broken and it's like uh number one there's nobody sitting there to talk aside from the first officer who oh by the way it looks like they're just Passed out? Shot? God knows. They're not moving. And now we're seeing all these oxygen masks deployed. Like, what the fuck is going on? Nobody there. Nobody moving. Nobody moving. Or nobody moving. I'm sorry. That's what I meant to say. They did see some people there, but everyone they saw was not moving. What the fuck? So, so something had gone wrong. But what should they do next? Like, where do you go from there? What do you do next? What do you do? Exactly. Like, they can't fucking onboard the plane themselves from... Unless you pull a Air Force One, the movie, (laughs) where they, like, had them belay through, or... (laughs) I was thinking, uh, the Steven Seagal movie with Literally never seen the Steven Seagal movie. Um, damn. Above the the Law. That is the name of a movie. That's not the one I'm thinking of. With Kurt Russell and I can't remember the name. Of it. Anyway, <laughs> that does happen in that movie. Okay. Trust me, in that okay. movie, it's kind of good. And Steven Seagal dies, which makes it better. <laughs> All right. So back at the Helios... terminal velocity, maybe I don't know. I can't remember the name of it. Back at the Helios Operations Center in Cyprus, Alan Irwin and the rest of the crew took in the information being provided by the pilots. So they are on the ground, hearing a, a F sixteen Air Force pilot say. So, nobody's in the captain's chair. Someone slumped over the controls in the first officer's chair. We see a lot of oxygen masks, and we see some people, but nobody's Not moving. moving. So, they were given the information, right? So, it seemed pretty clear that Flight 522 was in this little holding pattern from autopilot. Because it sure did not look like anybody there was in control, right? And I'm, my guess is whatever is happening, he put it in autopilot on that course. Who the fuck knows? This is fucking spooky as shit. I know. So Irwin, so everyone's kind of, I don't even know what they're doing. They're all doing their portion of the emergency response, right? Irwin, because he was a flight engineer, ran calculations like, okay, how long do we have? Right, How exactly. Long can they Before it runs out of fuel, holding pattern. Because you can't let it fall out of the sky. Right. Because who knows where it's going to wind up? Right. So he calculated they had a few hours. They had three hours. Right. So we okay. got to figure this shit out we within. Figure th- it out exactly, yeah. exactly. 
So more and more people were getting called into the operations center. Oh, fuck yeah. This like, is, this is this all is, hands on deck. It is. It is. <laughs> so eventually, Erwin um, uh, was told to go home. They're like, look, uh, we'll call you if we need to, but it like... I, there's and, not a whole lot you can help us with. And he's point. thinking the whole time, what the fuck was he talking about with the the I'm air sure. the, the air conditioner and the cooling system, the circuit breakers, like what? And now, and he, where is he? Because, where is the captain? Because he knows he's like, what is going on? Has something to do with that? It has to. You would think, right, but Jesse? But then also, like, what was the captain even saying? He was saying. The light is off. Okay, that's normal. No, it's on. Wait, what? Where are the circuit breakers? I'm behind your chair? What are you even talking about? And that's the last... That's the last heard. communication period. Last communication period. He was the last person to talk to anybody at that point. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So the F-16s kept flying next to Olympia as it continued purposefully in its holding pattern. All 121 people on board remaining completely still. Are you ready? No, I'm not. <laughs> Fucking. At 11.49 a.m., 17. So this is uh, two hours and 42 minutes into the flight, which should have ended a long time ago. Oh, yeah. It, it, the flight was ultimately supposed to be, what, like an hour? Something. like yeah. I, 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 I didn't get their landing time, but yeah, it would have been pretty quick. At 11.49 a.m., 17 minutes after these pilots first established visual, visual. contact yep. to, um, uh, yes, yes, first, first saw, oh, first saw into the cockpit, that's right. It was on, the plane was on its 10th circle in the holding pattern. One of the Air Force pilots saw motion in the cockpit. Good. And he realized it was a person. A person wearing a light blue shirt and a dark vest, which was the flight attendant uniform. It was Andreas Prodromu, the 25-year-old flight attendant who wanted to be a pilot. And from what the, the F-16 pilot could tell, he was not wearing an oxygen mask and he was moving. So the Air Force pilot like watched intently sure. as Perdromu slowly and deliberately sat down in the captain's chair in the cockpit and he put on a pair of headphones like the sure. headphones, yeah. right? Yeah. And then he set his hands on the control panel in front of him. The pilot is like trying to get his attention, like get in his line of sight, wave at him. But Andreas didn't seem to notice him. Wasn't responding. Literally seconds later, the left engine of the plane flamed out and lost its ability to function. And the pilot saw what he assumed to be fuel pouring from the left engine. Because of this, Olympia made a sharp left turn and began to descend. Jesse, stop that. Not the records. Yeah. This is a very dramatic point in the show. You do not need to get in the bathroom. <sighs> so left sharp turn and began to descend. We're not talking like falling from the sky descend. We're just talking like descending, right? Okay, you. Stop that. Here, do you really want to get in the bathroom that bad? 
There. There it is. It's a bathroom. Go ahead and mess up our audio. Yeah, it's you've been in, going in. No, of course. And you've been in there before. All right, shut the door. Uh, let's let's move on with the story. <laughs> this is fucking. I know. Because it seems to me like he's dumping the fuel on purpose. Because that's something you can do from a. So the pilot continued to try to get Andreas' attention. Andreas was observed occasionally, like bending forward and then sitting back in the captain's chair. And his movements could be interpreted as someone in distress, someone struggling to function. Sure. The F-16s continued to follow the plane as it quickly descended from its original 34,000 feet. As Olympia approached an altitude of around 7,000 feet. That's... uh... So this is just before noon. Andreas's head turned toward the window That's and he creepy. spotted the fighter jet and waved very weakly to him you've now, got you've got to shoot it down at that point no 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 the pilot at this point was like we are gonna land this fucking plane <laughs> so he made hand signals to andreas like okay look you're gonna follow me we're going to perform an emergency landing. I don't know what that looks like in sign, you know, like sign language, but like, follow me and we'll land safely or whatever. That's probably pretty close. Yeah. But for our audience who couldn't see it. But his optimism was quickly dashed when Andreas made one weary hand gesture pointing straight down. Jesse ruining a dramatic moment. So yeah, he's just like, I think we're going down. Okay. At 11, well, you, you know th- that is technic- we don't that cover is... crimes, so you should already have well, a hint. I, well, well, we, we... We aren't, this is not a crime. Well, no, but I'm saying, like, we have on occasion, like... I'm, I can tell you now I'm not bending the rules on this. Okay. Andreas was not driving this plane to the ground. Okay. All right. All right. And that will be proven later. At 11.59 a.m., the plane, down to one engine, and with no one controlling it, turned and continued to descend. Seconds later, the right engine flamed out, leaving the aircraft with no functioning engine. The F-16s continued to follow the doomed Olympia. They observed the plane did not seem to be descending entirely out of control. It appeared that Andreas was making whatever effort he could to lessen the inevitable impact, to try to control. So it wasn't just nose diving. Sure. He was trying to level it out. He was trying to trying land to glide it. as best he could. Yeah. Despite his valiant efforts, at 12.03 p.m., Olympia crashed into the hillside surrounding Athens in Attica, near the village of Grammatico. The impact of the jet, traveling at an estimated 400 miles per yeah. hour at the time of the crash, crash caused a fireball that raised several acres of nearby land. Parts of the plane scattered across the once placid hills. Andreas and all of the other 120 people on board perished, most still strapped in their seats and burned beyond visual recognition. In subsequent autopsies of the 118 recovered bodies, so they found all but three, it was determined all of the victims had been physically alive 
at the time of the crash. But most likely, and unfortunately, hopefully, had all been in a deep and irreversible coma due to oxygen deprivation. Sure, yeah. And were therefore unawake and unaware at the time of impact. Right, I hope so. For their, I mean, for their sakes, right? And here is a picture of some wreckage. Mm. I, but, uh, I guess they must have, to the nth coordinate figured out that this thing is going to land in a field because if it's going to land in a populated area my guess is going to be we have to shoot it down that would be my guess i have you, you I can't have just nothing to say about that because i just didn't see any sure. details of it so i don't know but i would my guess would be that that would that would be protocol but here's the problem if you shoot them down they're going to crash anyway you would have to calculate where they land that's what as I'm being saying. better. Ma- that's if what they I'm were saying. over Athens, mm-hmm. there was no good place to land. By happenstance, they landed in a more pastoral right. area. If they had shot them down over the airport, they could have landed directly in the city. No, no, or no, on I'm, the airport. No, so that's was, what I'm saying. I was thinking something different, but anyway, okay. it doesn't matter. Okay. This is fucking creepy. I know. It's disturbing, isn't it? It's like to say the least. So the first question I have just mm-hmm. before we move on mm-hmm. is how did ground control or there must be some sort of sensors because it sounds like sounds like to me there was a loss of pressurization, loss of all sorts of things. So There's how There's nothing on ground control that would indicate that the pilot That is weird. Would, the pilot would say, hey, we've got this alarm. But what if he's passed out and can't say that? You know what I mean? That's, That's a good the, question. You know, what are the procedures for this? Right. Are there procedures? Right. Shall we continue? I mean, I would think there would be, but we're talking 2000. Like, if this happened in 1955, it'd be like, okay, I think we need are, to keep going on. Yeah. You'll see how this folds out. So news of the crash quickly became an international story because of the autopsy findings, the reports of what the Air Force pilots saw. The Olympia was dubbed the ghost plane and called a flying tomb in the media. Amidst the sensationalism, the Hellenic Air Accident Investigation and Aviation Safety Board conducted their investigation into the disaster. And in the recovery efforts, both the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder were found. The cockpit voice recorder recorded the sounds of Andreas Prodromu in the cockpit. In fact, it was the cockpit voice recorder that even identified him in the first place because he spoke and his voice was identified by colleagues. But who was Andreas talking to? There was nobody else moving in the plane as far as it was observed. He was talking into the radio, which was on the wrong frequency. And no one heard him. Mm. But what the cockpit voice recorder heard him say was mayday, mayday, mayday. And he even identified the plane. He gave the call sign and everything. Like, this is Helios, Flight 522, mayday, distress, that sort of thing. And then he made a couple more mayday calls. And on the voice recorder, each time he made a the next call and the next call and said mayday, his voice was getting weaker mm-hmm. and weaker each time. Um, and that was likely due to hypoxia. Like sure. He, his brain was being starved of oxygen. 
Now, given the likely comatose state of the victims, the observation of the deployed oxygen masks, Andreas's difficulties and increasing weaknesses, it didn't take a brain surgeon or even like an air investigation and aviation safety board to realize something happened to cause the cabin pressure to fail. Mm-hmm. It was This was an oxygen issue, right? So in other words, the plane is climbing to higher and higher altitudes. Oxygen is less and less present in the air. That's what pressurization of the cabin is, right? Mm-hmm. They increase the oxygen in the cabin to make up for the loss of oxygen in the air. Um, but somehow, as they climbed, the oxygen available to breathe gradually ran out, which led to 121 people basically being suffocated. Slowly... <sighs> losing access to oxygen oh geez i just thought of the goddamn door it has something to do with the door let's keep going fuck but there were Mm. here's the here's the thing like you said there are procedures sure for this right so the oxygen masks had also deployed Mm -hmm. so and and people were observed wearing them so like how did this get out of hand like it did? And why weren't the procedures followed? So the investigation concluded the errors began before the crew ever set foot in the cockpit. Sure. If we go back to early that fateful morning, August 14th, 2005, remember Alan Irwin and Malcolm Fowler conducted an inspection of that pesky door. And part of that inspection included the pressure test. So to carry out that test, Fowler stayed by the door. So uh, Fowler, Malcolm Fowler was standing by the door in the back of the plane. Alan Irwin went into the cockpit. Now Irwin then toggled the pressuriza- pressurization selector switch on the control panel in the cockpit from auto. Remember he asked... Um, the pilot, if this was set to auto, mm-hmm. he switched it to manual. And that would reproduce the conditions to um, pressurize the cabin to see if it, or to do, I could have gotten so much deeper in the weights on the, the technicalities of this. But at any rate, that was to see if they could reproduce the sound, right? With that, So that sealed up the fuselage so the air couldn't escape and so they could listen and see if they were able to reproduce the sounds reported by the London crew. And then Alan went back to join Malcolm Fowler and they both listened, right? Listened to the door. They didn't observe any noise. According to Irwin, he then went back to the cockpit and switched that switch back to auto. Okay. And according to investigators, he didn't. Okay. So the switch was found to be in the manual position at the time of impact, which was incorrect. It should have been in the auto position. So this meant Olympia's cabin never pressurized. I was going to say, right, yeah. But never in, there are so many redundancies of checks and systems in things like air safety that even if Alan was wrong and he, he did keep it on manual accidentally, those pre-flight and after tech takeoff checklists are supposed to help catch that. Didn't include it? No, it included it. 
three times on three separate checklists that said check to oh. make sure switch is switched to auto. And Mr. Mr. Guy, who didn't like to follow the checklists. Well, neither Captain Martin nor First Officer Haralambus properly completed the item, although assumingly they checked it off. The reason for this, investigators concluded, were plentiful. Um, as you said, it was a known fact that Haralambus's record showed that he struggled to follow procedure. And further, they were like, okay, yeah, but what about the captain? What about Martin? And they're like, you know, maybe that experience actually didn't help Haralambus, didn't help like balance out his inexperience or his struggles, but maybe it actually exacerbated them because Martin was so experienced. Maybe he was just a little cocky, a little cocksure. He was like, um, he maybe he was relying on his memory. And maybe he was in a rush. And, and I've got to say, and... I, like, I'm sorry, like, uh, a pilot who does not follow procedures should not be a pilot. Like, you mean Haralambus and that it was observed. Yes, yeah. it's like, if you've done this enough times, like, mm-hmm. sorry... If you want to buy your own plane and fly it around, go ahead. You're not flying fucking other people around. Yeah. So that was what was concluded, that they could have caught it three separate times. But between That's inexcusable. struggles and Martin maybe just not checking yeah. up or what. Yeah. That's inexcusable. Um, but still, here's the thing. But if Alan had forgotten to switch the switch back to manual, if the pilots like failed multiple times. Or switch, yeah, left it on manual, forgot to switch to auto. Mm-hmm. Even if the pilots didn't notice and failed on all three checklists, there was still another system in place. A warning, the cabin altitude warning telling you, hey, like, stop this. You shouldn't be in the air. Once a plane has ascended to an altitude where a lack of pressurization becomes dangerous when the air is too thin, which is around 10,000 feet, that... Warning goes off and warns the flight crew. So why didn't the alarm go off? It did. They just turned it off. You remember something that went off that was really confusing? Yeah, the... uh, Takeoff configuration warning? It's not what it was. Okay. When Captain Martin reported the takeoff configuration warning system alarm, he misidentified the warning. He associated the sound of the alarm with the takeoff configuration warning system, but the exact same audible alarm is used for the cabin altitude warning. Now, it's like, well, that's stupid. Why do you use this? Think about this logic. Because you shouldn't be in the air. Bingo! If you are in the air, it is the the cabin altitude. If you are down on the ground, it is the takeoff. Like... You should be get you should get on the ground immediately it if you hear that. It did not register. It Jesus did not register Christ. to Martin. So he took it to mean and then he was just confused. Like, what the fuck is this doing on like he didn't if by all accounts it didn't even occur to him. That he shouldn't be in the air. That that this was the problem. So Martin was being warned about the loss of pressure. He just <sighs> didn't realize it. So while he was trying to figure out what was going on, talking to dispatch, an additional warning went off for the cooling system because the cabin pressure affects the cooling system. The airflow through the air conditioning. The air conditioning was saying, hey, we're getting low air pressure through this system. There's a problem here. 
Now, had Martin... The air conditioning was essentially saying, uh, at the moment, we don't need air conditioning. There's not much air right now. Because it's kind of cold up here anyway. Had Martin or Herolimbus realized what was going on, which is what the alarm was supposed to do, like, hey, fuck, watch out here, the correct procedure would have been for them to descend back to safer safer altitude. Right. Or to get on the ground, one or the other. Well, but... At least down to yeah. that, and then you have to talk with air air traffic. You cannot yeah. just ground a plane. Well, no, I understand, like but there's, right. yeah, and they were over water too. Remember, so yeah. So, uh, but they didn't. They kept climbing because they thought it was something that it wasn't, and eventually they got to an altitude that triggered the oxygen masks. Like, okay, look, we're losing pressure here. Everybody, take your oxygen masks. But the problem with these oxygen masks, here's a fun fact, they're not meant to sustain you for very long. 12 minutes on this plane. There are also conspiracy theories out there that I've Uh, heard. That's like fucking Fight Club shit. I've not heard it. I'm not talking about Fight Club. Mm. Okay. Even though it is mentioned in that movie. But there are also conspiracy theories that I've read here and there. I don't believe them, but it's out there that they're intended to knock you out. Well, you know what directly contradicts that? The number of flights that they've deployed, people don't get knocked out, sure. and it all ends up safely. I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying I just subscribe to that theory. I know. I'm just, just, it's just not even... Uh, yeah. yeah, anyway. Um, so there's only 12 minutes, about 20 minutes of oxygen per person available. The logic being that you don't need you're it for long. You're not supposed to need it for because long. Because you go back down under the altitude, you're fine. Right. And you don't need the masks Or you anymore. reach your destination or whatever. You get to a safe At space. At any rate, yeah, yeah. you're not going to need the masks for longer than that. But that didn't happen. The passengers ran out of oxygen and eventually resulting in hypoxia, incapacitation, and coma. In the meantime, because the pilots didn't realize the alarm was because of the loss of cabin pressure, they never put on oxygen masks, meaning they lost oxygen and passed out before anybody else did. The two people who knew how to control that plane were down before anybody else. So as a result, without even knowing it, they were, uh, Martin and Haralambus were, spacing out they were literally just passing out and this would explain at least some of martin's incoherency right they were struggling like what what are you saying what remember the dispatcher he could have been not making a ton of sense right really so ironically during this whole confusing relay with uh, with uh, the dispatcher and then with alan irwin Erwin stumbled upon the real cause of the problem. Remember, he was like, oh, maybe you're getting your panels mixed up. Can you confirm that the air cabin pressure is switched to auto? If Martin had done that, it would have switched it back to being pressurized. Mm -hmm. The problem would have been found out. But presumably, his brain was off in bonkers mm -hmm. land. He got fixated on this air cooling system asked about the circuit breakers and in all likelihood the reason his chair was empty is because he got up to go to those circuit breakers Probably. and passed out. Yep. So <laughs> at that point multiple warnings were going off in the cop- cockpit but no one was there or conscious to hear them. Here's the second mystery. What about Andreas? Mm-hmm. How Two did he... and a half hours yeah. later this How guy was moving off? 
Yeah. What was going on there? So, in addition for the oxygen meant for the passengers in case of an emergency, plus there's also a flight deck system, right, for the pilots that presumably lasts way longer than 12 minutes, just in case, right? I would hope, yes, because that's the more important Mm -hmm. part is for the pilots to be able to land the plane. Right. So, amongst the wreckage of the plane, they found three portable oxygen bottles. Now, there are four on board this flight, which were meant for the cabin crew, mm-hmm. for the flight attendants. They found three, and all of them had their valves open, indicating that all three had been used. Most likely, somehow Andreas had gotten hold of these, and that's why he was still awake. He had found an oxygen supply. Um, now, in general, the crew, cabin crew wouldn't have ex- been expecting anyone to need to wear an oxygen mask for long because they would have expected the pilots to descend and then mm-hmm. everybody's okay, but they were not aware. No one knew that they were flying without a pilot. No one in the cabin knew that. Now, it's not known why Andreas didn't make it to the cockpit for two and a half hours if he had oxygen available. Um, even the official report noticed that this was, they called it, quote, quite puzzling, end quote. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, here's like how I see, and this is total speculation, but this is how I see it could have happened. Maybe initially he had just like one and figure, and it like lasted him as long as, or he had a mask and it lasted him as long as the 12 minutes or whatever. Maybe he was in and out of consciousness. That's like what. That's, ex- that's exactly bottles. what I was thinking. And I was thinking maybe he passed out for a little bit, and when he came to, like he just had that one synapse that was just like you got to find an oxygen mask. And he did, but it and, that, was, and now you got to find another one. Yep. And now you know. Further, it was determined he, in all likelihood, would have been at the back of the plane, mm-hmm. so he had to make his way to the front of the plane. Mm-hmm. And if he was like hypoxic and plus. If you're without oxygen in your brain for a little bit, it doesn't mean that you die, but it can mean that your brain gets damaged. Oh, hell yeah. So he... And you can just lose bodily function just from that alone. Yep. So he may have been, over time, like, he was Just making his way up the... He was still able to, like you said, put enough synapses together... But he may have also been dying in the process. Oh, I'm, well, I'm sure. I'm sure he was. Were probably just dying. I'm sure he was. Process. But in that in that fight or flight, like his like moment, body, his brain just was like it was on its own autopilot mm-hmm. to try and to work and to yeah try really hard. Now the F-16 pilot said he didn't see Andreas wearing an oxygen mask, so it's possible he wasn't. Like he had run out of last one and he was just right. doing his best. Or also, it was noted that the um, the portable oxygen masks were clear. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, maybe he didn't see it. Right. Like, because it's not like he was looking at a perfect picture, no. clear view. You no. know, it's possible he just didn't see it. So whether due to just an inability to control a plane with only one engine, hypoxia, and literally, shock, ha- and literally like a fucking brain being half dead, a brain, yeah. Um, or any combination thereof, Andre- Andreas simply could not regain control of the Olympia. What is fucking, like, heroic is that he, he, tried. he tried. He actually tried. It's it's 
possibly like the saddest part of the whole thing. And likely all those people were going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. Or just well, be in a coma forever. What's so or, sad yeah. is that in the end, like he was like, nope, we are going down and like, I know I can't, it. Do, I can't it. do it. But that even in like whatever two brain cells were left for him, probably after all of the oxygen deprivation, he made maneuvers to try. He was still trying. Mm-hmm. He actually did control that plane. Mm-hmm. Um, he was trying his best. It just, it just no wasn't, it effort would It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, no amount of at effort would have worked. Yeah. So now this is something I didn't see specifically addressed anywhere, but it's pretty weird that uh, Alan Irwin thought they had three hours of fuel. Apparently that didn't turn out to be the case because they crashed soon after because of fuel depletion. Mm-hmm. So whether that was ina- inaccurate or they lost fuel through the one engine flaming well, you were, out, that's you were saying, possible. Well, you were so, saying, yeah, yeah. You're right. That, that's true. So that could have been. Yeah. But that's what led to the crash. Flame out, crash. So from early in the investigation, the first finger started pointing directly at Alan Irwin, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. hey, this all started with you. You didn't turn that switch back to auto. So Irwin maintained that, no, 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 look, it is possible that the impact of the crash changed that switch because oh, they found the well, switch. Well, sure, of course. So, um, <clears throat> We're but, talking about a plane going 400 miles an hour. Into but a... that still doesn't explain why the cabin pressure system would have failed. If he had it in the right position, sure. then what happened? Right. Like this whole thing is explained because of that switch being in that position. Um, and further, they determined through testing that that couldn't have happened at impact. So basically, it looked like... Now, that doesn't prove that Alan did it, technically, right? Because right. it could have been the pilots. But why would a pilot return it to exactly. manual? So yeah. He was interviewed at length... Irwin was interviewed at length by police and soon was vilified in the media, along with Helios and Boeing <laughs> itself. Because their 737 was becoming increasingly associated with cabin pressure concerns. We'll get back to... Uh, I was... J- okay. I, I have a feeling I know where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, we'll go... Actually, I, I did a weird thing here. So, I am going to skip ahead a little bit. So, let's talk about Boeing. Um, Boeing was like, Cause hey... Because they, they just recently have had issues. Let's talk about mm-hmm. it. So, Boeing was like, hey, nope, this wasn't our plane... This was, that was funny, Jesse. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to wake up Demetrius. Um, he, he's like, hey, this is not our plane. You didn't follow SOP. Your guys didn't follow SOP. That was the problem, right? But the official reports actually did list the 737's shortcomings as a secondary factor to the crash. Sure. So a class action suit for 67 million euros was filed against Boeing by the family of the Olympia victims in 2007, which ended up settling out of out of court. Nevertheless, in those court proceedings, it was acknowledged that Boeing had known of several previous instances of cabin pressure problems in their 737s. Further, in a Guardian article that I'll talk about because I used it as a primary source, uh, in 2020... Like mm-hmm. last month. Mm-hmm. This is a September 2020 mm-hmm. article. I know exactly what you're talking revealed about. Revealed a previously unreported... No, this is something different. Revealed a previously unreported FAA Boeing assessment summary in the months following the crash in which the FAA stated that the 737's problems were quite... Were, quote, 
likely a significant contributing factor. Yeah, I, I, end quote. I follow the Guardian on Twitter, so I, I know. What you saw the Helios about. reference? Yes. I, yeah, I know oh, what you're talking about. Did you not know? You didn't rec- you just I, didn't recognize the name. I'm thinking of all. Of, I'm thinking of five thousand different fucking scenarios. But as soon as we got to the Boeing thing, okay. I was just like, okay, I know That's where this is. It. I okay. know where this is going. Okay. Yes. Now, uh, oh, they also said the FAA also said. Yeah, uh, because that did come out like a month ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. The yeah, FAA I read also, that. also said that they considered the 737 quote. The airplane within one foreseeable failure of a catastrophic mm-hmm. event. End yep. quote. So beginning in 2011, Boeing retrofitted their 737s with two extra cockpit warning lights for pressure problems as a result of new FAA regulations. And in recent years, the 737 has once again surfaced in the news for safety concerns, especially the 737 MAX, after two mass casualty crashes partially attribute to faulty systems mm-hmm. on the MAX. So... Hey, but but capitalism has never killed anybody, am I right? David, our listeners did not expect a a communist book review here. I'm sorry. How dare, how dare we (laughs) fuck every single asshole who... Well, I mean, fuck Boeing for, for, I mean... Oh no, it was SOP problems. Well, that was part of it, yes. It was. But it's taking zero response. Well, which they... they and all they have to do is settle out of court. All they have to do is pay, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, it's just money. We can pay for the human lives, right? Jesus Christ. Like now, I, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, Helios, just a couple hours after the crash, they contacted UK-based Kenyan International Emergency Services, basically their crisis resource, resource management firm. The Kenyan Rapid Response Team got to work that afternoon dealing with the, and I never, well, no, it's not that I've never thought of this, It's but there's a very real logistical aftermath of uh, disasters like this from a civil perspective. Not even, like the oh, government's yeah, working course. on the search and rescue and everything, right? right? But there are family members, mm-hmm. there are uh, flights to arrange for these family members to get there. And if the company involved is involved in that, it helps mitigate a lot of the inevitable blame that you'll take from them. Of course. Right? Yeah. So Kenyan CEO Robert Jensen, a 20-year veteran of the company, got to work with attorney Sean Gates, carefully cra- crafting a condolence letter to be sent to the victim's families. In their experience, long experience, they were like, look, this is necessary it acknowledges the grief of the family members, regardless of responsibility, puts a human face to this corporation that they are clearly going to attribute blame to. So basically they're like, look, it might be able to help these people a little bit mentally. It might cover us a little bit if they don't think that we're the heartless bastards. And more than anything, is just like the right thing to it's do. Good PR. So it, it's good PR and it's also the right move mm-hmm. to, to uh, again, it's carefully crafted because it's not accepting blame, mm-hmm. but it is acknowledging that the... it's a fucking word salad of all sorts of shit yeah. without clearly calling themselves out while at the same time acknowledging a something fa- happened, a failure. Mm-hmm. What was the failure? We don't know. <laughs> well, we are sorry. Jensen delivered, <coughs> excuse me, the letter to the board of Helios for them to sign so they could send it out. They were never signed and they were never sent. Hmm. Helios just 
didn't bother. And apparently things just got bad after that between those two companies. But anyway, Helios Airways rebranded soon after the crash, because yeah. what else are you going to do? As Ajet, or Ajet, I'm not sure which, but their back tax woes were soon found out and the government of Cyprus froze their bank accounts. Uh, they Good. ceased operations on Halloween 2006. Oh, God. In 2008, four former Helios executives were charged in Cyprus with manslaughter for the Helios disaster and for causing death by recklessness and negligence. And they were all found not guilty in 2011. Also in 2008, Alan Irwin was charged with manslaughter in Cyprus. The stress of the charges resulted in the rapid deterioration of his 20-year relationship with his partner, Donna. They parted ways. They separated in 2009, with Irwin retaining custody of their teenage son and preteen daughter while also facing a possible trial. Now, I did not see the resolution of that those particular charges. From what I can tell, maybe they were dropped or something because they're just not mentioned anywhere as to an outcome. Okay. So, um, but in 2011... Erwin faced manslaughter charges again, this time in Greece. Because remember, we're talking about two different jurisdictions, exactly. right? Yes, yeah. Uh, three other... What? <laughs> you don't have to read. We'll read that later. Um, uh, three other former Helios managers were indicted along with Alan. All four of them were found guilty in Good. April 2012. Yeah. They were all sentenced to 10 years in prison, but they remained out on bail pending appeal the next year 2013 alan Irwin won his appeal so his charges were vacated or whatever happens at that point the other three lost their appeals but and i don't know why this is the case this must be a peculiarity of greek law um but they were given two choices one was to serve 10 years in prison um, or to buy out their sentences by paying 79,000 euros a piece. Uh, that's not much of a fucking head scratcher on what you're going to do on that. Well, and what do you think they did? Uh, yeah, you take out a fucking mm -hmm. loan. and Or maybe they had the cash on hands, they were former execs. But... So no one Jesus. served prison time for Flight 522. That's shocking. In the words of a representative for the victim's families, quote, no one ever pays for anything. Nope. Unquote. Alan Irwin continues to Nobody be... in high places. Yeah. Alan yeah. Irwin... Smoke a fucking joint and you can wind up in jail for 20 years, but yeah, whatever. Alan Irwin continues to maintain his innocence in the matter. He was interviewed in that September 2020 article in The Guardian where he said, quote, I was the fall guy. 100%. Fuck yeah. End quote. And that, my friends, was the story of Helios Airways Flight 522, also known as the Ghost Plane. <sighs> yeah, fuck that story. I'm. I... Really quick, let me tell you sure. my primary sources. That Guardian article, as well as the actual accident report, were the oh, okay. bulk of my um, sources. That was the report was from the Hellenic Republic Ministry of Transport and Communications. Did use Wikipedia and News 24 as well. And for our episode after this, <laughs> dear listeners, we will have something much more fun to cover. 
which which also led to the deaths of who knows an untold amount of people but it's indirect so it's just kind of more fun so what did you and horrific what did you think of the narrative approach i don't like it (laughs) because it makes me because it makes me scared (laughs) and i and i don't like i I never used to mind flying at all. Mm. I don't know why it's become like a thing lately. Actually, I do know why it's become a thing lately. Mm. Um, Us talking about thousands or hundreds. No, I don't think I don't think it has anything to do with it. It's like the majority of the time when I was flying before, when I was younger, I I didn't have a fan. I had had nothing. Mm. It didn't matter. Like it really did not matter if Mm. I lived or died. Uh, Now it does. Mm. You know. So I think that's part of it. Well, just wait um, to fly again when you have life insurance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, shit, right? I'm certainly not getting... Uh, yeah, fuck this. I mean, I, I know the odds of dying in a plane crash are... Minuscule. ...are as good of, as the odds of winning a lottery. Right. I think they're about the same, actually, statistically. Hmm. But it's just... It's it's the you're not in control part that freaks everybody out. Yeah, that's understandable. Very You normal. know, you're not flying the plane. So you, mm-hmm. you know, you're, if you get in a car accident, to a, to an extent, you have some control over it because you're controlling your own car. Your own co- Well, yes, but you're right. not controlling the person hitting your You car. aren't, but it's not the same mentality. I, I, you know I, what I mean? I do. And I yeah. do understand that that is like, it's, it's not logical, but it is understandable. Right. It is because I don't know how to fly a plane. I would nope. not want to be the person in control of that. No. <laughs> um... But, uh, well, what I do think about this particular crash in sort of the, quote, silver lining, whatever, like, the thing that I do think is because it was clearly just going to end so badly, like, it, well, and I know the way I unfolded it, we didn't know how it ended, but, um, uh, because there was no other option and this plane was going to crash, the fact that it sounds like almost everybody, if not, well, probably not poor Andreas, but everybody else was out of not there. Yeah. They were already, the way it was put was they were likely in a deep, irreversible coma. Sure. Which means they were essentially dead, right? Yeah. So. Not physically dead. Uh, right. Just brain dead. And I can only hope that the way they died, this hypoxia, because I said suffocated, that's really not accurate. That means no air right, whatsoever, right. right? This is a lack of oxygen yeah, in the air. Yeah, that's something different. Yes, it is. So It's almost like everybody had a stroke on board. Or that it just like you space out, mm-hmm. right? And not that that's great, no. but that's better than feeling the impact of a crash and also feeling that horrible like descent and mm-hmm. everything. It like... If there was no way out of this, which there wasn't for anybody on board, right? Then the way that most of them went was more merciful than what could have happened. What I think is a real, just like, oh my God, was Andreas. Mm -hmm. Who somehow. That he managed Mm -hmm. somehow to try. And further that he did. I mean, because at some point he could have really easily just been like, well, literally, like he could have seen the captain 
probably like I, I, I have dead. Been, I have been basically. visualizing that this entire fucking time since we got into that. <sighs> like, what would it be like to wake up in a plane full of essentially dead, dead people? people? And so you know what he could have done. You know what he could have done, and it would have been completely understandable, and no one would have known the difference. Just take off your own oxygen mask. And just fucking ride just it let out. yourself. Just let yourself go to sleep. That's all you need to do. But it's it's he the didn't cause he it's, tried because it's the fight or flight instinct, and he chose. He to was fight. a fighter, and and further, like there is also the complication. He was a pilot, mm-hmm. so I'm sure. Whatever He's part like, of his I've brain that was still something. functioning was took responsibility mm-hmm. for it, and that's what I think. Um, I'm, He's he's like, I can do mm-hmm. something. I have to try. I have to at least try, and then even to the end, he tried minimizing the impact. I mean, he had to have known that there was basically nothing he could do. Well, he but he, he still tried. He signaled that he knew. Yep, but he still tried. That it was over. So I think there's a little bit. I'm it's kind very of surprised. heroic. I'm, I'm a little surprised yes. at how little, like, well, and maybe I shouldn't say that, but, I mean, it sure sounds to me like he was damn brave for what he did, even yeah. if, it, I don't know how much he was in control of his own brain or actions Probably at that not point, a whole lot. But still, but... <clears throat> that says something about you when you're, like, basically your last brain cells are telling you to do something yeah. heroic, so. Um... And I just really hope for his sake and he was I, and too I also, far gone to have to feel that impact. I've also been thinking about the F-16 pilots who mm. probably rerun the, the scenario thing? in their fucking head yeah. every time they go to sleep. You know, literally mm. seeing, as one of them described it, a flying coffin. Yeah. You know, that's just fucking... I don't think you, you can't mentally prepare somebody for that. No. I don't care how much military training you've had. Well, and those those pilots too were also trying until the end. They were like, "Yes, hey, hey, look over here, look over here." And when he find they finally got his attention, they're like, "Okay, look, you we're, can we're, do this. You yeah. can do this. We're here with you." And but he's just like, they they couldn't. I mean, they couldn't know what was going on with him at the time. But. They they tried to will him along as much as they yeah, could, and they, they did. and mm-hmm. it's. It's yeah, that story sucked. It, it's it's and, uh, I know. And Ash, you can stop listening. Oh, I don't. I'm no. kidding. I'm kidding. So Ash, <laughs> Ash, like many of our listeners, enjoys many an air disaster. You guys, I swear, our air disasters are like the most listened to episodes. Everybody loves an air disaster. I don't get it. I don't get it either. <laughs> I really don't. You people must live by boat or something. <laughs> and, there's and, a thousand and, of them. There's and, plenty and, to do. And have never been in a plane. There's plenty to do because there's been so many flights. I mean, you know what I will say is I wouldn't doubt if after the pandemic, like everyone's a little afraid to fly for multiple reasons. More so for catching germs. Yes, germs and all that. But then also it leaves, you know, like the more you do something, the less scary it gets. Well, when nobody can go anywhere for a couple of years. See, flying has been the opposite for me. That's so funny. (laughs) You were more nervous on our last uh, flight, or Vegas. Mm -hmm. Our Vegas flight, it got a little turbulenty, and you were a little more nervous than I was, which was an unusual turn. I was uh, much more nervous like the time I flew before that. Oh, I know. Um, you, you've you told that coming story. Back from, no, no, no. Green Bay? Or yes, was coming it? back yeah. from Green mm-hmm. Bay. Mm-hmm. Because it was fucking pouring down rain. Yeah. We were going from... It wasn't Green Bay. It was uh, Appleton, which oh, is right, right mm-hmm. outside of Green... It was Appleton to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, that fucking plane didn't sit, sit still for yeah. shit. And, you know, at some point in the flight, you hear... Um, 
flight attendants. With the flight attendants uh, get back in their seat and you're just like, oh, fuck. It's never good when the flight <laughs> no. attendants have to sit down. <laughs> no, it isn't. You know you're headed for a bumpy ride. That's another thing that's really scary about this episode. The plane was fine. Yeah, the pl- yeah that, that, that's, <laughs> initially. I think that's the creepiest part yeah. about it. Uh-huh. It was the, the plane. plane was doing everything it was, well, obviously it wasn't doing everything it was supposed to do. Well, because in it, terms, it was doing everything it was told to do. In terms of flying, yeah. yes. Um, and warnings. Mm-hmm. The captain misinterpreted that's true. it. Hey, hey, you two. Jesse, don't bite your brother. Yeah. But that's unnecessary. He is not a gazelle. And you are not a Savannah cheetah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've been such a troublemaker in this Yeah, episode. you have been a shit today. Hmm? Yes. I see that look. <laughs> so, um... Yeah. So, happy Halloween, everybody. Here's hoping none of us yeah. end up on a ghost plane. And that's, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Which, when you said that early on, I'm like whatever did you think it went missing or i I was thinking well i was thinking bermuda triangle kind of shit like it it went off radar for a while and then they read it whatever the fuck well and i I was trying i was trying not to tip the hat as to or my hand as to what happened but at the same time when you were like talking about andres i was like no you need to know that he's not a bad guy here (laughs) but yeah i know yeah it's okay. Nah, we can't. Like this we one. can't fly for any number of times. When was the last time I? Vegas. Oh, I went to Cle- no. I went to Cleveland last year. That was no oh, big okay. Deal. Yeah, that I was. I went an to easy Miami one. in the very beginning of this year. That yeah. was my last. Day. The, the flying to, in and out of Cleveland last year that was pretty easy. That was no big deal. But uh, yeah. Well, because everyone had oxygen. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that helped. And, oh, the, and the plane and the plane successfully take off, took off and landed on all four occasions. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did not like that story at all. I'm probably not even going to listen to this episode. <laughs> it's okay. You don't um, have to. So that was Helios Airways Flight 522. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. Happy Halloween. <laughs>